<laughs> so we are continuing our study, the Ten Commandments, a gospel perspective. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, where you will find the Ten Commandments. Um, chapter 20, verses uh, 1 through 12. I'd like to read um, as we continue. We're in uh, commandment number 5, and we will continue to do so um, uh, as we go through the commands. So look with me to the Word of God. Infallible, inspired, authoritative word. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness, anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But show steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and all that is in them and... Rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The fifth commandment, our text today, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that your Lord your God is giving you. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. As we get into the text, just quickly reminding you of the historical covenantal redemptive context. We said we do that by remembering God's moral law as a revelation of his moral perfection. The law reveals the lawgiver. God is holy and good and just, and his law, therefore, his moral law, is holy, good, and just. But it also reveals our sin, our incapability to live righteously, which then should drive us to Christ, who is the only one who lived up to the perfect righteous requirements of God, and by faith in him, His righteousness is counted or imputed to our account. Theologians call this an alien righteousness, something that comes from outside of us, namely Christ. It was his perfect life and atoning death not only should drive us, but also permits us to obey the commands of God without the fear of failure, fear of judgment or of condemnation, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Not only are we to understand the revelation We ought to remember that the moral law was given to Israel after Israel's redemption, liberation, and salvation. We also are given the law to obey, God's moral law to obey, not as a source or a means of salvation, not as a source or a means of salvation, but as a result, the outcome of our salvation. Out of a renewed heart, a regenerated heart is overwhelmed by love and gratitude and thanksgiving because of the gospel, we are to obey God. A new heart was part of the promise that God made, the covenantal promise God made to his covenantal people. Jesus is that promise, the offspring of promise, who redeems, rescue, and delivers God's people from sin, Satan, and hell. And, and he then sends the Holy Spirit to renew us, and our hearts have been changed. The disposition toward the law, the relationship toward the law has been changed. First John 5, 3, his commandments are not burdensome. 
They're a way in which we follow, obey, and walk with our God. Okay? It's not, it's, it's a guide. As long as we know it doesn't save us and it can't condemn us. As we move into, cha- uh, excuse me, the fifth commandment, we'll see a slight shift in um, its emphasis. A slight shift in emphasis. Historically, folks look at the Ten Commandments and break it into two separate uh, tables of law. Two tables of law. The Westminster Confession says this, The first four commandments contain our duty toward God, and the other six our duty toward man. This division, these two tab, uh, tables of the law, uh, is seen in Jesus' own explanation of the greatest commandments. Matthew 22, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first, the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor, what? As yourself. So there's this division. And generally, you know, it's true generally, but we don't want to make a, 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 a big deal about it because... Although, otherwise, when we, if we do that, we make a clear separation, we'll think that the first four commandments have to do only with us and the Lord, and the second six, tab, table of the law, has to do with just man and us. So it's, it's upward and outward solely, but that's not the case. Everything's connected to our God and flows from our relationship with God. We saw that in this, the third commandment of the Sabbath, which is read it a minute ago. Right? We saw that in the Sabbath. The Sabbath talked about, um, you know, not only you are to take a Sabbath, but you are to what? Include your sons, your daughters, your slaves, your animals. It has to do with God, honoring God, but also has to do with what? Loving your neighbor as yourself. And, and all the commandments we'll see throughout uh, all ten of them, particularly in the sixth commandment, the second table of the law, includes duties to God, not just man. Right? So King David commits adultery and, and, and murders Uriah. Uh, and he's violating the sixth and seventh commandment. But what does he say? Against you alone have I sinned, he says to the Lord, Psalm 51. So each commandment, as we move forward, we look at uh, uh, five through, uh, through, through ten, we'll see each one of them has this upward relationship, but also an outward relationship. And that Christ is the fulfillment of the moral law. But love for God... Love for God, love for the gospel, love for Jesus must come first before we can truly know how to love one another. And just as the first commandment is the foundation of the the law, that you should have no other God before him, and then the rest flow from that. It's not only have no other God, but don't talk about that God in in a certain way, and don't commit idolatry, honor him on the Sabbath rest. This commandment about honoring your mother and your father is really the foundation for the rest. How? Well, the foundation upon which love for our neighbor is built upon is honoring your mother and your father. The the placement of this commandment shows the special importance of the family. Because loving our neighbor starts where? At home. Then it shapes our relationship and it promotes healthy lives. Look what it says. Love, uh, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Right? It's not an automatic uh, uh, guarantee that children who obey their parents will live to their, you know, 95. Nor does it mean that if a child or, or a young person or, you know, passes away that they broke the commandment. This is more of a principle. It's not a promise. And when, when, when the scriptures talk about may live, uh, may, may be long in the land, it's not just chronological. It has to do with blessing. 
It has to do with, with this abundant life that God always saying to Israel, listen, when you get into the land, teach your children to honor and love their mother and father, and things will go well for you. Listen to them. You know, when you come across a kid, especially a, a younger, I got to be careful, like, right? I'm saying younger. I'm not, you know, younger than me. What does that mean? But you know what I mean. Like younger in their late teens, early 20s. Younger than me, a lot. You know, and they're kind and they're considerate. They're hardworking. A lot of times that's to do with their parents. Well, they're guardians that taught them well. There are all kinds of, you know, all kinds of exceptions, right? You know, a kid that's grew up in a real good home and been taught to honor and they just disrespect everybody else. People have not been taught that and they love people. Generally speaking, as the scripture is telling us, the general rule is that God requires children to honor father and mother. So that's where we're going. Some of you might be squirming a little bit because of your parents or maybe you parenting. We'll, we'll get to some of that stuff today. Um, phone's always open. You got a call. We could make an appointment. We can talk through some stuff, but hopefully I'll, I'll talk a little bit about where you're at. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at this commandment in three questions. What does honor mean? What happened to honor? And what does honor look like? Okay. What does honor mean? Let's look what that means. To honor one's parents is not just simply to obey them. To honor one's parents or to honor means to respect, to love, and to prioritize. In fact, the word honor is a heavy word, literally. It's the Hebrew word that means weighty. It has to do with uh, heaviness. Is the Old Testament word used when we speak of the glory of God, the weightiness, the heaviness of his divine majesty. To honor one's parents or anyone else is to give due weight and honor to their position, to respect them, to defer to them, to submit to them, to love them, to appreciate them, to have affection for them. Honor is something that begins internally. Honor is something that begins internally and then manifests itself externally. If you have honor in your heart towards someone, it will come out in your words and actions. I've done some weddings here. I've done a lot of weddings. Some of you may know. If you ever sat in a premarital class, I talk about this video that I saw that honor that long time ago, but it really, really made me think what honor is. It was a, it was a marriage conference. I don't know, a few hundred people. I think it was Gary Smalley, possibly. And he had a guard, two guards, one with a shotgun, one with a handgun, in full uniform, carrying a violin case. It's a stratosphere, or whatever you call those things. It worth like $13 million. Stratosphere or whatever. You know, what? somebody say it. Yeah, one of those. And, and he has this case, and he, and he comes down off the platform, and he gives it, opens it up, takes the violin. The guys with the guns go with him. And he hands this violin to the front row person, and she takes it, and he says, now hand it down. And everybody handed this violin down. And let me tell you, $50 million, whatever it's worth, with two people with guns, they handled it very carefully. And they all just did this. And it went down about, you know, 15, 20 people, whatever it was. And he took it back, put it back in the case, and handed it to the people who had guns. And he turned around and he said, that's honor. The weightiness, the value of something and how you treat it. I'll never forget it. To honor parents is to respect, esteem, and value them as gifts from God. It is to give them the recognition they deserve for their God-given authority. As with all other commandments, there's a negative and a positive. The negative or the opposite of honor is what? Dishonor. 
Disrespect. Disrespectful toward parents, disrespectful toward anyone that God has placed authority over us is wrong and sinful and violates this command. If parents are weighty, they should be what? Treated not lightly. Unfortunately, rebelling against parents has become a common thing. In one of my commentaries, the author quoted a cover of a magazine for teenage girls. And the cover said this. Do you really hate your parents? Like, who doesn't? The magazine proceeded to offer advice on how to deal with your detestable. Leviticus 19.3. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Revere or fear other translations. Not about being afraid. It's about having a healthy respect and reverence for the fear of the Lord. Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 19.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you went through the Old Testament passages or through the Old Testament scriptures and see all the curses in it that are reserved, reserved for children who rebel against their parents, you would be somewhat amazed. Leviticus 20, if anyone curses his father and mother, he must be put to death. He has cursed his father and his mother, or his mother, and his blood will be on his own head. Deuteronomy 21, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother, will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town, and all the men in his town shall stone him to death. Not the stone you kind of think. This is with rocks, okay? You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. I know what some of you are thinking, but no, we're not going back to the Old Testament laws and its consequences. Yes, it would probably solve a lot of problems, but no, we're not doing that here. Your kids are like, oh, remember, run the grace, run the grace, you know. But think of this commandment. On what takes place when you dishonor a, 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 a member, a, a mother or father. And what honor means. Now, and consider that, this text and, and the law. And consider the remarkable story, the scandalous story of the prodigal son. The son ran away. The son was a glutton and a drunkard and spent all his money. And the moment that the father should have saw him at the gate and dragged him to the elders to be stoned, what does he do? He sees his son far off and runs and said, this is my son who was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he is found. What good news for a wayward child. What good news for a wayward child. You know, we live in a time where many young people assume that breaking the fifth commandment is just part of their job. We just go through this phase where we're just in complete rebellion. But the New Testament teaches that disobedience to parents is a sign of living in not only a bad culture, but in the last days. Second Timothy chapter 3. Honor, reverence, respect, love, prominence. What happened? Well, many, many historians and others believe there was a significant shift in American culture, attitude that took place in the 1960s. Obviously, they're not saying that every culture in all the world up until 1960s was just fine with authority. They're not saying that. But there was, I think, a shift in 1960s. The American attitude changed. It was an anti-establishment, anti-government, anti-military. But this institution that came under attack the most, perhaps the most weighty, was the family. There's a woman by the name of Annie Gottlieb, I think is how you say it, 
a writer specializing in psychology, uh, one of the people who identified the 60s as the generation that destroyed the American family. And this is what she wrote. We, may, we might not have been able to tear down the state, but the family was closer. We could get our hands on it. And we believe that the family was the foundation of the state as well as the collective state of mind. We truly believed that the family had to be torn apart to free love, which alone could heal the damage done when the atom was split to release energy at the first step. And the first step was to tear ourselves free from our parents, end quote. With that came a resurgence in the 70s and 80s of an earlier parent, uh, parenting model. Some of you who are older might know the name of Benjamin Spock, Dr. Benjamin Spock, a psychologist who wrote several books. He's a humanist to the core. His philosophy, his approach is that all people have innate goodness in their being. But, but is that really true? Is human nature prone to be good and positive and loving? Well, if you think so, you're not only wrong, you are, in, you are in odds with Scripture. Scripture clearly tells us in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful. Above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Proverbs 14.1. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way of death. And so if you buy into this false dichotomy, it will have a profound effect, not only how you raise your kids, but a profound effect on how they treat you. And how they treat others. Dr. Spock and others promote the idea of this family democracy. The order is not God, his word, parents and children. It's actually there is no God and just parents and kids. The results that parents treat their children as peers. Like, what do you want? What do you think? Let's go to a vote. Maybe the parents will be overruled. It's not only biblical. It's, that, that's not only not biblical. In fact, the scripture says that's how you hate your kids. Proverbs thirteen twenty four. There's a push for independent thinking over obedience to rules. Parents demand the best for their children, but not the best from their children. Feeling good is actually more important than doing good. Possessions and things uh, increase happiness, so give them all you can so that they don't feel deprived. And we got this idea that we need to be buddies with our kids. We, we say, just leave them and they'll be fine. But we're not to leave them to their own devices. We're not to find the best way to be their friend. We give them directions, especially younger children, we expect obedience. And a whole generation has been raised in that kind of vein. Here's the truth. We live in a culture, family, we live in a culture, when you're either scorned, hated, or mocked, when you say that your children have a sinful nature. Because people believe what? They're basically good. And therefore, you need not to raise them. You need to let them just grow to become whatever they will become. Someone once said, it's easier to grow weeds. It's harder to grow fruit. It's harder to tend a garden. It's ignoring the fact, if you just let them be, that they have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. And that explains the world to it, right? That explains the world. It's not working. It's cultivating a harvest of unrighteousness. What we need in our children is to see them have a new nature, being born again of the Spirit, instruction, discipline, repentance, and correction. What we're up against in our culture is that believing Christians should not fall into that destructive perspective, but raise our children to show honor and respect, not only for parents, but those in authority. 
Though the Bible makes it clear that fathers have a unique role, a unique responsibility for spiritual leaders in your family. Don't leave the discipline to your wives. Don't allow your children to act unruly while you're standing there and your wife is trying to handle them. And notice, it's very, very, you don't, you, you don't see this today, but in this culture, in that culture, when the commandments were given, when it says to honor both mom and dad, that's huge. In fact, one of the verses in Leviticus 19 says, each of you must respect his mother. Mother is put before father. Honor your mother and father. Proverbs. My son, keep your father's commandment. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. There's a combination. And children should not take advantage of their mothers, but give them equal respect. It's a huge in that culture to say, moms, you have respect too. Of course, we live in, you know, rugged America. Autonomous cells. We don't like to be under authority. Self-rule seems to be our uh, way of life. But it's at odds with Scripture. To submit to authority is what Scripture teaches us. And I know the fifth commandment speaks about honoring parents, but I think there's a broader understanding of honor. Husbands, parents, elders in the church, employers, representatives of civil governors, uh, government. Why? Because Paul said we must submit to one another in the fear of God. It's a byproduct of being filled with the Spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. Being filled with the Spirit, part of that is being uh, a submissive. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We are to revere God and obey the law, submit to authority. Listen to what the New Testament says. It says, slaves ought to obey their masters. We would say employees ought to listen to their employers. Wives ought to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Hebrews 13, obey your leaders in the church and submit to them. 1 Peter 5, younger men ought to be subject to the elders. Romans 13, you ought to be subject to the governing authorities. Titus 1, be submissive to rulers and authorities, obedient for every good work. 1 Peter 2.17, to fear God, honor the king. Getting a little uncomfortable? A Christ-centered, gospel-centered approach to this commandment teaches us that the people of God who are being made in the image of Christ in the gospel must honor moms and dads, fathers and mothers, and other God-instituted authority because it is to reflect the perfect righteousness and love of Christ. Children, obey your parents. It's God-ordained. They love the authority, and they feed you, and they clothe you. They love you. They're representatives standing in God's stead and representing him on earth. Are there times when submission is not warranted? Are there times when submission is not warranted? Yes. There are times when we are asked to violate clear teaching of Scripture. Sometimes an authority imposes laws and rules upon us contrary to the word of God. We saw the example in Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar declared an edict for everyone, not just the church, to worship an idol. It's the Old Testament church, the Jewish people. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rightly opposed it. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles were told, do not teach the gospel Nothing in the name of Jesus. And they said, no, we must obey God rather than man. Typically, when an earthly authority usurps the authority of Christ, we must follow Jesus, not man. Similarly, a child may reach a point in life when he or she puts Christ before the parents. 
for the greater obedience, Luke 14, 26. I know teenagers that have been subjected to commands uh, of parents who have usurped the authority of Christ. Things like telling their child, don't read your Bible. Telling your child, don't you pray to God. Or more extreme cases of sexual abuse or illegal actions, they are not to submit to that. It's extreme. But kids, if you're here doing your homework before you get on your phone, ah, don't cover it. Clean your room and don't go here and don't go that. I'll be home at this time. We're not talking about that. Severe cases. Parents, in Ephesians 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in, in the Lord. In the Lord. For this is right. But then it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Children are commanded to obey their parents, but parents are also responsible for their children. People in authority have responsibility to exercise in ways that are pleasing to God. We are not to abuse our authority, overstep our bounds. Leaders in government as well, to protect their citizens. Elders called to serve and not abuse the church. People are called in management to love and care for their people. Parents are to submit to Christ and take authority over their children. What does honor mean? Love, respect, reverence. What happened? It's missing. We need to bring it back as people of God. But what does honor look like? Let, let me say this lovingly and, and honestly. Some people here, when I, when I talk about honoring your father and your mother, quite honestly, you get angry. It may not sit well with you. There may be some bitterness over the idea. Your mom and dad, or your mom or dad, or maybe even both, were very abusive. They were very neglectful and really never earned that kind of honor and respect. Let, let me say to you lovingly that this command does not mean you have to accept their behavior. Or somehow call sin good. If your parents abandoned you or abused you, it was and is sin. To honor them does not mean to say it's okay. All is forgotten. For you to honor them may mean to truly forgive them from your heart if you have not. Or, or if, you ha- if you can't say something nice, you don't say anything at all, at least publicly. They may be honoring them. If you need to talk to your spouse, a counselor, a close friend, you're telling your story, you're getting your help, that's a different thing. Maybe you honor them by being a better mom, a better dad, a better husband, a better wife. Recognizing and respecting the office, the uniform. When I was in a, I worked in a paramilitary environment for years, and there were many who held rank. Wore the uniform, but there were some that did not warrant or earn honor. But I had to learn how to salute the uniform. Not a whole lot of people respect for the, for the people in the uniform, but I res- not a whole lot to respect of the person. But I respected the role, the uniform. I honor the vital role of mom and dad. I honor the, by just not talking trash, but by God's grace, forgiving them. We honor motherhood and we honor fatherhood, even if it's hard. We honor motherhood and we honor fatherhood. Now, we know that there are a lot of single moms. A lot of single dads raising children. God's design, as we know from the beginning, was that for children to have mother and father. Right? That was the plan. But we live in a fallen world. Sin has wreaked havoc. And now, yes, we will have widows and widowers. And we'll have divorces because of sin. But ideally, it was God's design in Genesis Father and mother would not just be there for conception, but for the long haul. But it happens. Let's also recognize that we have step-parents. 
who raise children. We have foster parents who raise children. We have even grandparents who raise children. But the principle is the same. As you love and care for these children under your authority, we must teach them to honor their mom and dad or anyone who has this parental role over them. Let me me start by this, what it looks like. Let me start by saying this. What will help your children, those who are over you, what will help them to understand, first and foremost, how to honor parents is if you model it in your home. If moms honor moms, a father's fathers honor mothers. What happens when the children don't see that, they don't learn to honor their father and their mother. If you're a mom and you're talking trash, you're a guardian, you're talking trash, constantly expressing bitterness toward the father, the husband, or even the ex-husband, you disrespect and dishonor them in front of the children, what do you expect the children to do? They will do the same thing they see, mom. And if you're an overbearing father, harsh, belittles and criticizes your wife or ex-wife verbally in front of the children, you are fueling dishonor in your kids. You can have disagreements, you can have conflicts, but how do you handle them is honorably and respectfully. You don't air it out in front of the children. And what does it look like in different various life stages? Well, honoring father and mother as a small child is basically obedience. You tell your five-year-old, straighten out their room, put their toys away. Not only should you expect them to do so, but you should see so in order that they follow the rules and follow what you command you've told them. There's no tolerating of, of screaming and yelling and kicking and hitting. And I get it. Some kids have behavioral issues. I, I Believe me, I know. Okay? But we're working on it, right? You're working on it. You don't just go, oh, well, that's just their personality. That's just who they are. Let them continue down the path they're going. And hopefully when they're 25, it'll all work out. No, we work on it, praise God. There's a reason God commands children to obey their parents. It's teaching them to honor and respect at an early age so that when they grow up, they will respect their teachers. They will respect their employers. They will respect, respect the policemen. And ultimately, they will obey and respect God. Augustine said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will not spare? It's where we learn to live life and live under authority is in the home, the family, to respect and to obey and hopefully learn about love and protection. And we're seeing this failure lived out and reaped in our culture on the TV screen. Honor in the home has been eroding and the disrespect toward authority is what we are reaping. And I don't buy for a single minute that because there are those who abuse their authority, and there are, that we should now have the right to for anarchy and just totally disrespect all authority. That's a lie. Those who abuse it should be punished. And parents with small children who do not respect and honor and obey them learn quickly as they get into their teens just how devastating and destructive they become, not only in their home, but in other relationships as we see it played out. If you have responsibility, I have responsibility to our children. We need to teach them by modeling them honor and respect toward those in authority that are over you. And that won't happen if we're negotiating with a four-year-old. Sorry. And then as they get older, things change, right? As they become preteens and teenagers, yes, they need to obey, but there's a transition. It goes from just strictly obedience to respect. 
There's more respect, right? You just don't, you know, treat a teenage like you do a four-year-old. And part of this adolescent age is they're getting their own ideas. They, they may have some disagreements with their parents, but they still have to respect and honor you're the parents, the, the overseer, the, the one who's authority with step-parent, foster children, parents, whatever. Teens, listen, you're, you're not a child, you're not an adult. We get that. You're going to not get as much freedom as you would when you're 30, but you still, uh, we understand the progress that's going on. But let's not say they have a license now as they get into this preteen and teen stage for rebellion, disrespect, and disobedience. Teens, it means the way you, preteens, teen, if you're here, it's the way you talk about your parents. It's the way you talk to your parents. Are you, are you listening to them? Are you, are you saying things that are disrespectful? I hate you. Drop dead. You know, you're stupid. Cursing and yelling. Slamming doors. Dishonorable. They need to listen. Share their thoughts. That's fine. But take in and just, just, it's possible that those over you might have a little more wisdom than you do, that you should listen to wise counsel, right? One of the ways we could do it, preteens and teens, if you're here or you're online, is to be thankful and to be grateful for those who've raised you. To be genuinely thankful and grateful for those who raised you. It is a great sacrifice. It's a great sacrifice for parents, for step-parents, for foster parents, for grandparents. It's a sacrifice, and there should be an appreciation, a thanksgiving for that. And you have decisions to make. It's wise to go seek counsel of those over you or older than you. That shows them respect at that age. And as you get older and you're out on your own, things change as well. There's a respect, but there's, there's not this, oh, you must obey, right? Parents do not expect a 26-year-old who's moved out to obey the same way a 4-year-old does. Right? Especially when you're married, it says, right? Leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. Become one flesh. We don't tell our grown children what to do. Even... Even, even, even when they're making bad decisions that we know that are hurtful. We counsel them and we leave them to God. They're accountable to him, so are we. And we pray for them. And they would be wise and honor their parents or those over them by listening and seeking counsel. But then as we get older and we're grown, I'll put myself in that category for now. What honor looks like is primarily caring for your parents and honoring those who are older and elders. We don't have that culture today. When you, when you get older, you're not seen as a woman who's wise and deserving of respect. Rather, you're told, take a back seat. Our culture tends not to honor the generations gone before us. But, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we, the church, King's Chapel, loved and honored and respected the elderly? Where we cared for them and we, we placed a value on them. We looked for them, looked to them for wisdom. You know, in Bible times, they didn't have Social Security, right? They didn't have retirement. They didn't have governmental assistance. They got old, guess what? Your kids took care of you. And the assumption was they fed you. You When you were young, they clothed you, they bathed you, they took care of you, they provided, they protected you. And now you're older, they're young, older, much older. You return the favor. Unfortunately, we live in a, in a time where it's just half Americans believe that the children are responsible for taking care of their parents. But we're believers. It means we're supposed to treat our elders, not just our parents, but our elders with respect, honor. Many feel like it's the government's role to care for the parents. The Bible says it's your role. It's my role to care for our parents, particularly the parents that have cared for us. 
That doesn't mean Social Security, retirement, nursing homes, or hospice care is sinful. I'm not saying that. But older children, if you're here, we need to own the responsibility to love and care for our parents. Mary and I had the privilege of caring for her elderly parents. And each care for them actually looked different for their needs. The point is to get involved, take responsibility. We proclaim the gospel and we say, listen, we're not just going to do what everyone else does. We're going to do what God wants us to do. We're going to care for them, love them, provide for them, visit them. We don't live autonomous lives like we got our own thing. And so they live in isolation, separation and devastation. We don't do that. You know, the Pharisees are a bunch of legalists in Jesus' day. And they defended, the, they defended the, the fifth commandment to honor, respect your mom and dad. But they found a way to get around it financially. Nice, right? Mark chapter 7 is an excuse. Jesus said, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God to establish your tradition. Moses said, the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. We, we covered that. But you say, Jesus talking to religious leaders, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, korban means a word that's offered to God, then you no longer permit that person to do anything good for his mother and father, and thus making the void, making void the word of God by your traditions that have been handed down. It's not of the Bible is what he's saying. What he's saying is, listen, you've got this, you've got this property, you've got these goods, and you've got a get-out-of-jail-free card. You just say, you know what, I'm giving it to the Lord, whatever that means, right? And now, Mom and Dad, you're in struggle. I'd love to help you out. I really could. I'd really love to, but you know what, I can't because I don't have anything. Everything is Corbain. And Jesus says, no, stop making excuses. Some of us this morning need to say, I'm sorry to our parents. Myself, I said it 500,000 times to my mom. There's so much I did wrong. Maybe we need to say I'm sorry to my dad. Okay? Maybe you're here this morning and you need to forgive. Maybe not even alive, but you still need to forgive. For wonderful um, information and stuff we can help you. Maybe you need to seek counseling. Maybe you need to seek uh, to be free from the pain and the hurt of the past and seek Christian counseling. Some of us need to maybe just step up because our kids are not respectful and we're not working on it. And we need to. So whatever you're at, whatever application, let the Holy Spirit teach you in this. Finally, as with all the other commandments, Jesus is the ultimate lawgiver and the law keeper. And he fulfills this commandment with perfect righteousness. In fact, can you imagine just for a moment, you're the only perfect human being on planet Earth. I know it's hard to imagine, but you are. And you are asked to, to submit to who? Sinful parents. That's exactly the story. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's left there by mom and dad. He stayed behind to teach a seminary class to religious leaders. They found him in the temple. And his mom says to him, son, what are you doing? Why are you treating us like this? Your father, <laughs> your father and I have been searching for you. and We're in great distress. It's like you left me here, but that's another story. And he said to them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And, he, and, and it says, Jesus, after this class went down with them and came to Nazareth, where he lived, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I used to think she would treasure all the things that Jesus did ministry-wise, 
She's probably treasuring the fact that this imperfect mother has this obedient son who's submissive to her. If you had an imperfect child, and if you were imperfect and your child was perfect, you would wholeheartedly remember those things, right? John 19. As the Lord Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross, he was beaten, whipped, nailed to a Roman cross. He's suffering and dying in our place for our sins. And he looks down from the cross and what does he see? He sees his mom. Next to his mom, who does he see? John, probably his closest disciple. And what does Jesus do? Jesus looks at his mom, looks at his friend, and says, take care of my mom. He's honoring his mother and father. Take care of my mom. Adam was God's son. He disobeyed his heavenly father, and he was exiled from the Garden of Eden. Israel was God's child, the scripture says, but was disobedient to her, to her heavenly father. With the result, they were exiled from the promised land. But Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, was obedient to the will of his heavenly father. He fulfilled God's law, rule of love, through his obedient submission to the father. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, we wrestled with the father's will prior to his execution, the crucifixion. He was going to drink the father's wrath. As our substitute, he cries out, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus Christ consistently, perfectly throughout his life on earth, honored his father. So much so that Paul the apostle writes and being found in human form, that's Jesus. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross, Philippians 2.8. Honoring our father and mother begins with honoring our heavenly father who loves us, who sent the Son, who died for us. And now through that gospel, through that truth, through that work of Christ, he adopts us into his family. We honor him by trusting him. We honor the Father in heaven by trusting him, even when it's hard, by trusting him. And he's a perfect heavenly Father. would never ask us to do anything that's not for our good and for his glory. Isn't that, isn't that what Jesus did? John 17, I glorified you on earth. I did everything you asked me to do, even dying on a cross as I'm headed to the cross. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, I did that. And now glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. When he was reviled, 1 Peter says, as Jesus... He did not revile in return, could have wiped out the world. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but what did he do? He continued entrusting himself to who? To his father, who judges justly. In obedience to the father, listen, Jesus died on the cross. He paid the penalty for you and I breaking the fifth commandment. But Jesus also kept the fifth commandment in our behalf, in our stead. It is not enough for Jesus to pay the price for our sin. He also had to offer up complete obedience to the Father, all that the law demands. He kept the fifth commandment, honored his commitment to his Father in heaven, and from the manger to the cross, Jesus was an obedient son who brought honor to his earthly parents and his heavenly Father. So I want to ask you this morning as we close, if you're not a follower of Christ and never turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, let today be the day that you realize that God is a father. You and I are rebellious, sinful kids, but God did not get the elders together and crush you 
by the gate, but instead God came in the person of Christ, lived the perfect life as the perfect child, demands from all of us, then dies a debt, pays the debt that we should pay so that we can be freed, loved, forgiven, and become adopted into his family. Jesus was crushed on our behalf. Rises from the dead, gives us a spirit, puts his power within us so that we could become more like him. And if you've never done that, this is where you give yourself to Jesus. And you become a son or a daughter of God, the Father. God is a perfect heavenly Father who loves you. And our honor of one another begins by honoring him. Have you trusted Christ? Have you trusted Christ? Do you honor him by fear and reverence, not the fear of, 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 of being scared, but of holy reverence because of all that God has done for you. Jesus lived the life you could never live. You broke these commandments. He died a death you should have died. And now he invites all of you to come to receive the gift of eternal life by repenting, turning from sin, and believing on him. And maybe you're a Christian here today and it stirs some stuff up. Good. The Holy Spirit will do his work. The gospel will bring healing. Our offices are open. We could talk and walk through that with you. Let's pray. Father, we are asking now that by your Spirit, through your Son, the gift of the gospel, that you would bring healing to our hearts, For those who are hurting, you would bring conviction to our hearts for those who need to repent. You'd bring strength to our hearts for those who are weak. You'd bring encouragement to our hearts to those that are failing. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. We stand on him alone. He alone lived the perfect life. We did not. And we rest in him. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Father, we pray that out of, out of the gospel and through the gospel, Lord, we will respond in love, gratitude, and the honoring of those in authority over us. Whether we're mom and dad here, a step-parent, grandparent, foster parent, Lord, help us by the gospel, through the gospel, and the power of the gospel um, to love and honor you and then to respect and love and honor others and then teach that to our children. And may, and may our life and may our... And just the way we handle this, Lord, bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.